following is a presentation of the Church of the Living God in Traverse City, Michigan. Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us this morning, both here in the building and online. We are in our third Sunday of Advent, and so the first thing I'm going to do is step away probably from the camera's view here just for a second and light our third Advent candle, and today our Advent focus is on hope. I'm going to read a scripture passage today to go with this theme from Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 2 and going through verse 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people... for a number of years ago wrote the celebration of advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul who know themselves to be poor and imperfect and who look forward to something greater to come the zeal of the lord will accomplish this lord i'm grateful that you're a god of hope and of promise and as we read through scripture as long as you have been revealing yourself to the world you have made it known that you're a God of love and of faithfulness. You're a God who will save. And as we're in this season of Advent, and as we'll talk about today, really we're between two Advents. We, we rest and we find comfort in the reality of who you are, of what you have done, of what you will, will, what you will do. And this gives us reason to rejoice and worship all year long, but especially at this time between the Advents. Amen. All right. A couple announcements before we get into our Advent sermon this morning. First of all, this is the week for the benevolence offering. I mentioned this last week.
clear that you would like that to go toward the benevolence fund. Just to be clear, that's what our deacons use to try to help people within our church family or people who are connected with our church family who are in need of financial help. And especially over the holidays, this could be a time where people can feel that financial need very keenly. And so as God has blessed you and as you can do generously and with joy, uh, we really encourage you to give toward this in this time of year. Um, we are not doing a Christmas Eve service this year. Next Sunday will be our Christmas service. Um, so it's, it's going to be like our regular morning, maybe with uh, some extra music. I forget all the details about this now. But next Sunday will kind of be our Christmas celebration as a family. It'll be the fourth Sunday in Advent. So we encourage you to be here for that. And then before I forget, shout out to the Christmas decorations. Um, the last number of years, this has been Becky Childs and her minions who make this possible. And I forgot to mention this two weeks ago, and then last week we weren't in the building. So I would be remiss if I didn't say thank you for taking the time to make this building look great. We are going to finish the service this morning with communion. Uh, and we'll pass stuff out later. And what we're going to talk about this morning in some ways leads up to this a little bit. I have been introduced to a new idea about Advent this year. And when I say new, it's only new to me. This isn't new in Christendom, but I've discovered that in different denominations and circles, there are often different focuses at different times of year. And I'm discovering that I'm finding my uh, understanding of the Bible and of Jesus really enriched by trying to see how others celebrate Advent. So a phrase was introduced to me this year that I had not really heard before, and that was the idea that Advent begins in darkness. And the reason uh, some denominations focus on this is that Christmas obviously is a time of, of light and of happiness and joy, but it takes the conversation back a little bit further to why Advent has to happen. So I'm calling my message today, Advent Begins in the Darkness, and I think next Sunday will be Advent Ends in the Light. So hope is one of the key themes of Advent, though there are four, hope, joy, peace, and love. Hope is probably the foundational thing in Advent because Advent literally means arrival. It simply means that something is going to happen. And so the, the more you're in a place where you're desperate for something new to arrive and make things uh, set things right, perhaps, the more you're going to feel hope. So there's some correlation, actually, between the darkness you might be in in some way in your life and the hope that's held out to come to you. So this idea that Advent begins in the darkness isn't meant to suggest that Advent ought to be a time where we're gloomy. It's an acknowledgement that as we celebrate the arrival we're celebrating because we are in a time that's gloomy. There's something about the world, uh, what Paul calls this present evil age. We know that there's a brokenness and a sinfulness and a darkness that permeates the earth. So in this sense, when we talk about advent or arrival, we're talking about what the Bible calls an apocalypse, which might sound weird. But an apocalypse is simply an unveiling or a revealing of something. Uh, in a very small sense, if I had my mask on and I would take it off, that would be apocalyptic to you. Uh, I would have revealed something. And so we make these connections 
with Hollywood, where we think apocalypse, we're thinking like end of the world, Terminator, that type of thing, zombies, everything's falling apart. That's not necessarily what the Bible means when the Bible talks about an apocalypse. It's simply an unveiling. It's going to show you something about the world as it is, and then it's going to show you something, and I would say unique in Christian scripture, it's going to show you something about Jesus. So let's take uh, two books in the Bible we often refer to as apocalyptic. This would be Revelation and Daniel. They certainly unfold grim realities. So they are unveiling a truth about the world. But they never stop there. They're also unveiling a truth about what is to come. There will be an arrival. In some ways, in Scripture, Advent is associated with apocalypse. Because the Bible's never going to settle for simply saying, look, the world is broken and dark. Okay, we kind of know that already. The Bible's going to unpack why that is and give us detail, but it's never going to stop there. It's going to add an advent, an arrival. There is someone coming who is going to set these things right. So advent is about a time of apocalypse. So the prophets in the Old Testament, um, they have a long and storied history, but as you get to the end of the Old Testament, they are unveiling two things. It's, in some ways, it's apocalyptic writing. They're unveiling why God was angry at his people. And once again, Isaiah, Jeremiah, you can go through all of them. Read Malachi again this week and just see how the Old Testament ends. Like, whew, that's a hard book to read. So they're unveiling why God's angry at his people. But they're also unveiling what he's going to do about it. So the Israelites were God's people. God had promised them great things, right? It goes back to Abraham. But then through the Old Testament, we get this remarkable kind of unveiling, in a sense, of all the remarkable ways in which God's people are disobedient. And by the time we get to the prophets at the end of the Old Testament, Israel is living in exile in Babylon. I mean, the book of Lamentations is just that. It's a whole book of lament, what has gone wrong? What are we doing? So the prophets had unveiled the people's unfaithfulness in a way that was impossible for them to ignore. They were going to have to come to grips, that they were in some sense reaping what they had sown because of their unfaithfulness to their covenant with God. Then there's this gap of hundreds of years between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew. And if you read Jewish history, the people were convinced that God was just silent, like the Holy Spirit had left. There was no more inspiration that was happening. And I have to imagine it would have been easy for them to believe they had just been abandoned by God. Right? Maybe, maybe he wasn't powerful enough to defeat the other gods where they were in exile. After all, Babylon had won. Did this mean that the gods of Babylon were somehow stronger than Yahweh? Uh, maybe he didn't exist. Maybe he was angry in some sense beyond the breaking point, like, that's it, and he'd just gotten rid of the whole thing, and would he have gone back on his covenant promise, on his faithfulness? It, and so this had to be a time of real testing. There's probably a reason we read things like, by the waters of Babylon, I wept say the writers, because it, it was, the time of exile is a brutal time. And I, I was thinking this week, it might be hard for us to really understand how their faith was tested, but then I started wondering, well, certainly around the world, Christians are in situations where they're experiencing this kind of tremendous testing. I was just reading this last week that the Christian church in Iraq is functionally gone. 
from, I think, from down from a million people to percentage-wise almost zero. I mean, they're on the verge of not having any known Christians left in the country of Iraq. It has been horrible for them. Uh, okay, they might understand that sense of wondering what is going on. But then I suspect we probably feel that too personally. Uh, if, if this has been a year, and we're going to come back to this later in the message, but a year where you have struggled with uh, depression or anxiety or feeling like, it, where is God in the midst of all this? Uh, loneliness, abandonment, despair, you might be experiencing that kind of thing personally. So maybe you do understand, in a sense, what the children of Israel must have been feeling. But Jewish prophecy wasn't simply about predicting something and then waiting for the fulfillment. fulfillment. Jewish prophecy was about patterns for the most part. And here was a key pattern, that they would show how God has worked, and then they would show how God is working so that the people would know how God will work. All right, so here's the pattern. They show how God has worked in the past so people can understand how God is working now so that they will know how God will be working in the future. So there, too, is this apocalypse, this constant unveiling. They're going to give truth to people that they may not have been aware of. So the prophets made clear that their exile, the sense that God was silent, they're, they're reaping what they sow. Um, God had warned them, you need to order your life in a particular way to experience the fullness of the covenant that I'm offering you. And God had told them what to expect if they were unfaithful. And God's serious. He keeps his promises, both the ones that are to our benefit and the ones that are harder for us to stomach, right? But the prophets believed in a new world. They believed there was something coming. There was going to be a new way of life in faithful covenant. There was going to be a Messiah that was going to be sent by God. and He was going to save the people, rescue them from their exile, and lead them to freedom. Because God is faithful with his promises, all of them, not just the grim ones. And he had promised his people that he would be faithful. And so in the midst of this time where they were really wondering, is God as faithful as we thought he was? That too the prophets are unveiling. God is a God of faithfulness. He has shown it to you in the past. He's actually showing it to you now. And I promise you he will show it in the future. So Isaiah had once pleaded, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. I mean, that's the cry of someone who is in a place in life where God does not feel near. Oh, dear God, tear the heavens open and come down. And we could probably talk about this for weeks, but on the cross, what is rent when Jesus dies? It's the veil in the temple. What was on the veil in the temple? Symbolically, the night sky with all the stars Jesus dies, and the veil is rent, and the heavens open in a sense that Isaiah cried out for. And now this separation from this uh, sinful, rebellious, broken humanity, this morally impure people, through Jesus, that separation, that veil is torn, and we have access to God in ways that would have in some ways felt almost, I think, unimaginable to the people of God at the time. And so the Messiah had come. Those who lived in darkness did see a great light. 
And the hope of the age to come was that now with the arrival of Christ and living in the light of his goodness and his blessing, they would be able to participate in this kingdom, in this spiritual land that had always been promised to them. I was reading a lot of articles this week on Advent beginning in the darkness, and so if you pick up notes in the back or if you access them online, you'll see all of them there. But this quote stood out to me. Advent is a season of being caught between the way things are and the way they will be. Or perhaps better said, between the way things seem to be and the way things really are. In other words, Advent is a season during which we long for apocalypse. That's the unveiling. But as the preacher of Hebrews reminds us, faith is the reality of what we hope for and the evidence of what we can't see. So Advent is a season of faith. We light candles and we trust that as God has come before, so will God come again. We trust that no matter how dark the night, dawn is coming. We choose to hope and we choose to believe. So it turns out that what Apocalypse is telling us is that because of God, hope is found in something that's outside, uh, not outside, it's beyond the cycle of the human history we experience here in our families, in our businesses, in our churches, in our cultures. It, it's not the cycles there that should lead us to optimism. It's the idea that God is present in the world, that he has unveiled himself, that he will unveil himself again, that as we live between these two advents, his first coming in a manger and his second coming as a glorious king, this is the thing that guides how we feel about the world. It guides how we experience the world. So once again, during Advent, we're actually celebrating two arrivals, and primarily, honestly, we're looking ahead toward the return of Christ, the second arrival. But the first time he came, and he changed history with a new covenant, and then he'll come back, and he'll wrap it up, and he'll make all things new. But now we're in the middle, and in the middle, it get, gets kind of messy, because there's a great light here, and a great light here, and there's a lot of shadows that get cast in that in-between ground. So there's a lot of things that feel like exile, a lot of things that can bring about hopelessness or can make us ask, where is God? Why isn't he exercising his power this way? Why don't I feel his nearness? So Advent reminds us that we're asked to do something very important, that is, stand a watch as the ever-encroaching darkness draws near and to ultimately give witness to the victory of light over night, and then to stand in its glorious beams and see all things be made new. So Advent is very much about light emerging from darkness. Advent is about the apocalypse. It's about the unveiling of truth about the world, which involves both an honest look at the kind of world we live in, but also the truth of a savior who came to redeem and to save and will return again in power and glory. Another article I, I read phrased it this way. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. This is as Advent a proclamation as I can imagine. We live in the is between the remembrance of Christ's death and the expectation of his coming again at the end of all things. This means we live in the fact of his risenness. We cannot always clearly see Christ, but knowing that Christ is risen, 
means we could stand up and welcome Christ in the crisis. Death no longer has dominion over him. Death has no dominion over us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not the past, not the present, not the future. We wait for the end of all these things, but we look for Christ now, risen and gathering us for the end. So I, I like that. We live in the is. But to the remembrance of Christ's birth and death, which we will do with communion at the end of the day, the remembrance of Christ's death, and the expectation of his coming at the end of all things. And so we're just going to linger a little bit this morning in this is spot. I was reading an article this week written by a Catholic who was acknowledging the really terrible cost that the scandals, the apocalypse, the unveiling of some things in the Catholic Church has brought about. And if you're familiar with the stories, you know, a lot of this has to do with the scandal of abuse. And and this writer was noticing or noting that a lot of people were leaving. Uh, it was uh, almost too much to bear. Like I had trusted and I, and all this sense of disillusionment and anger and wanting to have distance. And so there was this real kind of exodus that was happening, happening in the Catholic Church as part of this apocalypse. And the article was much longer. He, he was a Catholic writing to Catholics. And we are evangelicals, so puts us in a slightly different camp, right? But as he was talking about an Advent way of thinking about how to respond to that, it just really resonated with me. Like, this is the is we're in. We serve an incarnated and risen Savior who is coming again. But, man, this in-between area is messy. And I just, I really liked how he phrased part of what he wrote. I just want to read some of it to you. Some people can only handle as much as they believe they can handle. And it's no easy thing to stand where we are and watch darkness grow where the light is fading. It's unsettling and it's disorienting. Despite the risk of injury, we want to run, get away from the dark because we can't bear to stay within it. But that's what Advent is asking us to do, to stay. To stand a watch in the twilight as this ever-encroaching darkness draws near and to ultimately give witness to the victory of light overnight, and then to stand in its glorious beams and see all things be made new. And so this is what I want to say to my friends who have left or who are struggling, those who are halfway out the doors or think they soon will be, my dear sisters and brothers, hold on. Hold fast. Don't run at the revelation. Don't run at the apocalypse. Don't try to run through this fearsome darkness. Stay for Advent and stand the watch with me, with your family, with all of us. Be willing for now to keep company with Christ so deeply wounded by his own bride. Consent for now to share in the hard times before us and they will get harder. The darkness will grow deeper still and help us to hold fast, to hold fast because the light is coming. The darkness will never overcome it. Remember that Israel means struggle with God. We are all little Israels right now, wrestling, wrestling within his house and seeking our Jerusalem, our abode of peace. Hold on, hold fast, because an Advent promise has been made to us, and God is ever faithful, so we may trust in it. Your light will come, Jerusalem. 
the Lord will dawn on you in radiant beauty. This is for all of us. It's for you and for me. It's for every little Israel struggling. Your light will come. Just hold fast. So what's going on in your life right now? So is politics overwhelming you? Does every election now feel like an apocalypse in the Hollywood way, an unveiling of the disastrous end of all things? Does it feel like America or the church as we know it is being upended or that the future will hold only pain? And now you're going to see a phrase on the screen that I'm going to come back to as I go through this entire list. So I'm going to say it over and over again. We live in the reality of Christ's risenness, which means we can stand up, rejoice, and worship Jesus in the midst of any crisis. An Advent promise has been made to us. God is faithful, so we may trust in it. Our light, which rose as a Savior from the darkness of death, will come again in a glorious unveiling of the return of the King. This is the hope revealed in the Advent that was and is to come. So is COVID scaring you or is COVID frustrating you? Do the last nine months make you question the wisdom of men and the godliness and faith of your fellow Christians? Does this feel like an apocalypse, like an unveiling of the true state of the world and the church in a way that brings you despair? Is it hard to see a way forward that involves peace and hope? We live in the reality of Christ's risenness which means we can stand up, rejoice, and worship Jesus in the midst of any crisis. An Advent promise has been made to us. God is faithful, so we may trust in it. Our light, which rose as a Savior from the darkness of death, and will come again in a glorious unveiling of the return of the King, this is the hope revealed in the Advent that was and is to come. Did you lose a loved one this year? through death, through abandonment, maybe through relational distance that feels like a death? Do you wonder if this grief and this sense of loss and this sense of emptiness will ever end? We live in the reality of Christ's risenness, which means we could stand up, rejoice, and worship Jesus in the midst of any crisis. An Advent promise has been made to us. God is faithful, so we may trust in it, our light which arose as a Savior from the darkness of death and will come again in a glorious unveiling of the return of the King. This is the hope that is revealed in the advent that was and is to come. Is your mental and emotional health on the line? I mean, if studies and private conversations are any indication, a lot of us are struggling this year with depression, with loneliness, with anxiety, with fear, with disillusionment. And especially as winter moves in, storms like yesterday, it just feels like the whole world's in agreement, right? Things look bleak. They feel bleak and lifeless. And we just wonder if we'll feel alive again. We live in the reality of Christ's risenness, which means we could stand up, rejoice, and worship Jesus in the midst of any crisis. An Advent promise has been made to us. God is faithful, and we can trust in it. Our light, which rose as a Savior from the darkness of death, will come again in a glorious unveiling of the return of the King. 
This is the hope revealed in the advent that was and is to come. Is your family in crisis? Maybe spending more time at home has not been a blessing. Maybe politics and COVID have pushed you apart. Maybe this apocalyptic year has simply unveiled cracks in family foundations that had been easy to cover up but can't be covered up anymore. And we wonder if something this broken can possibly be repaired. We live with the reality of Christ's risenness which means we could stand up and rejoice and worship Jesus in the midst of any crisis. An Advent promise has been made to us. God is faithful, so we may trust in it. Our light which rose as a Savior from the darkness of death will come again in a glorious unveiling of the return of the King. This is the hope revealed in the Advent that was and is to come. Has being part of this church been hard? Have you been frustrated with your church family here this past year? Me too. Have you felt like people around you just weren't getting it? Me too. Do you wonder what 2021 holds for CLG? Me too. But you know what? We live in the reality of Christ's risenness which means we could stand up, rejoice, and worship Jesus in the midst of any crisis. An Advent promise has been made to us. God is faithful, and we may trust in it. Our light, which rose as a Savior from the darkness of death, will come again in a glorious unveiling of the return of the King. This is the hope revealed in the Advent that was and is to come. This has been a presentation of the Church of the Living God. For more information, please visit us at clgonline.org.